That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. We had a couple of Champions League upsets in this round's quarterfinals as RB Leipzig overcame Atletico Madrid and Olympic Lyonnais got a 3-1 win against Manchester City Saturday afternoon to set up a couple of unconventional semi-finals that we'll see in this midweek as uh, RB Leipzig will play Paris Saint-Germain, both in their uh, going for their first Champions League final appearance of their club's existence. And upstart Lyon will go to dominating Bayern Munich, who uh, we're definitely going to get a few words in today about because they had an absolute pummeling of Barcelona, beating them 8-2 on Friday's quarterfinal. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Uh, Andrew is out today. Uh, welcome to the Ghost Gold Podcast. Plenty to talk about. Uh, weirdly, we usually have a transfer section, but I don't think we really have any room for transfer talk today, because one, there's not much going on, and two, there's just been so many great games in the Champions League that we got to talk about all of them, basically. I think we can just mention that we mentioned on the last pod, William Tarsenal is probably happening, and it did happen, so that, that is official now. Sure. Uh, well, let's jump on the chronological order. Uh, the Wednesday game that kicked off the quarterfinal action uh, in the Champions League this week was Atalanta and PSG. Atalanta went ahead 1-0 in the 27th minute when Mario Pasalic scored a nice little left-footed finish. Uh, and then the game was completely turned on its head with the introduction of Mbappe in the 60th minute and uh, Atalanta making a few changes themselves that also, uh, around Mote. the same time that uh, made their defense practically fall apart. And we saw Marquinhos score in the 90th minute, a great setup by Neymar. And uh, then Chupa Moting gets the winner three minutes later in uh, injury time to uh, mark a great turnaround for Paris Saint-Germain. Their first semifinal now since 1995, which you you wouldn't really expect of them. But this is the the stage that they've always seemed to disappoint, even against uh, teams that they would expect to beat. So it was looking like that for the vast majority of the game. But Atalanta, inexperienced themselves at this uh, stage of European competition, you know, just seemed to completely fall to bits defensively as PSG just kept pressuring and pressuring them. Do you, do you think it's written in the stars that PSG? I like think like they're going to win this Champions League this year because yeah, I mean that's what they seem to think. Um, I mean, um, I always knew they were going to score in this game. You could obviously, like you said, they were just waves and waves of pressure, and you could see it. Um, Atalanta were getting deeper and deeper, and they took off all, all of their offensive threats. They took off, you know, Papu Gomez. They took off Duvan Zapata. Yeah, all um, around the 60th minute, the exact same yeah. time that Mbappe came on. And it's, I mean, Jim Jim City isn't like a great center back, but he's one of their more experienced center backs playing in the left center back role. And uh, I forget the player that they brought on for him, but, you know, I, I think it was also a combination of not just the, the substitution in defense, but also just the, the, the weight of the moment. You know, even without crowds, you can see that these games are, you know, they have just as much of the intensity and magnitude as any normal Champions League quarterfinal would. So That first half was pretty they amazing. They really fell apart. Um, there were so many chances for both sides. 
We have right. to. Could have been two two at halftime. Uh, Neymar should have had a hat trick. You know, he had three very very good chances in that first half. Um, I think there, there's a couple things worth mentioning about Neymar here. He was far and away the best player on the pitch. It wasn't even close. Um, from start to finish, obviously when Mbappe came on, um, the spaces opened up for him even more. And um, there's a statistic I saw online where um, the previous record for like take-ons, dribbles completed in a Champions League match was 11. Um, it was like Messi and a couple other players had had gotten 11 in one match, and Messi or uh, Neymar had 16 in this match. So he absolutely shattered that record. Um, and he was pretty much untouchable. Like you could see every time he got the ball, the Atalanta players were actually absolutely horrified. And you know him, he, that chance he had in the third minute absolutely should have buried that. It was one v one with the keeper and just put it wide. And you could tell that like because the French league hasn't been active th- active for months. He hasn't. They haven't played a competitive game since March. Um, and no, he played the the league. The, oh, the I guess cup yeah. Final, they, they played two. July. They played two cup finals. You're right. But you're they right. were they were they were spread out from each other. It was like a month in between those yeah. two games. And it had just been a long time. You could tell that Atalanta, just having finished their season, especially in that first half, were a lot sharper. Um, but I think you could tell in the second half, especially with the substitutions, that uh, the PSG had the legs. You know, they weren't tired at all. They could keep going and. Um, you know, their quality really shone through. I thought that, like you said, the Mbappe substitution completely changed the game. You know, as soon as he came on, he, he went and ran at their left back and got to the byline and, and created a chance. And then he got a shot off another minute later. And you could you just kind of were like, oh, you know, like the, this is a completely different game now. And the commentator said it, too. Like there was two different games to be played here, one without Mbappe on the pitch and one with him. And, um, yeah, it's kind of frightening how good of a player he is at such a young age and how much of a difference he makes. And uh, Chupo Moting, I mean, that guy had the – he had the cross into Neymar for the first goal. Um, yeah. he, he, like, dribbled around a couple players, kept the ball. I think he tackled, dribbled around a couple players, put in a beautiful cross into Neymar who kind of scuffed the, the pass in from Marquinhos. Uh, got a little lucky there. But I thought the second goal was uh, was beautiful, and that was created by Neymar as well. Uh, passed to Mbappe, and then Mbappe just you know slid it over to Chupamotang, who tapped it in. So, uh, yeah, I mean, ecstasy for for PSG fans and for PSG. And, you know, they've never, like you said, in their history have gotten to a semifinal. But, you know, heartbreaking for Atalanta, who I think— Well, no, 95 was the last time PSG got to the semifinal. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it's been a long George time. Weah. And, uh you know, Atalanta, I, th- I feel like they deserved at least probably to go to extra time in this game. It's a little harsh for them to lose that in 90 minutes. Um, but you could definitely tell that if that game had gone on another 30 minutes, I mean, PSG could have won that 4-5-1. So um, I think Atalanta yeah, had their I mean, chances in the first half. Yeah, that was about to say there was a bunch of really great saves from Kalo Navas uh, in those 26 minutes leading up to the uh, leading up to the goal that Atalanta eventually scored. It, it really could have been. I mean, you assume the game may have gone in a different direction if they had scored earlier than that, and maybe they don't keep that same pressure on for the entire time. But there are three or four saves. Uh, the I mean, while PSG had the Neymar one-on-one that they should have scored, just before that, Papu Gomez was basically in on goal, and you know uh, Navas got down well to stop his chance. And there was a couple more like offset pieces going near post that. You're thinking, man, if PSG have Areola or uh, any one of the other uh, Trap or any of the other goalkeepers they've been trying out these last couple of years, how many more of those go in? And and is it kind of an insurmountable uh, lead at that one point for PSG? But, you know, they keep it at 1-0. 
and eventually get the the spurt of goals that they uh, were looking for really late on. So Worth it, mentioning. it definitely feels like they've turned a bit of a corner uh, for me. But it, again, it is against Atalanta, who you know their their, their attacking philosophy is never really going to go away. So there's always going to be those openings at the back. Like your your PSG going into this game, you you were expecting to score at least twice. So worth mentioning that uh, Kaylor Navas is actually hurt for this semifinal. Um, so, oh, really? Yeah, he, he did come off injured around the 70th minute. He tried to play on another five or six minutes, um, but I think he definitely pulled the muscle. So I don't, I don't know if he's going to be available for even the final. Um, and that might be a big, big factor um, if PSG do make it to the finals. Okay. Well, let's move on to the team that they're going to be facing in the semifinal. Uh, RB Leipzig got a 2-1 win against Atletico Madrid on Thursday. Goals from uh, Danny Olmo to open the scoring for Leipzig before João Felix uh, set up uh, with a great run, uh, won a penalty and then scored it himself in the 71st minute. And then finally, the uh, young American, Tyler Adams, I think he's 21 or 22, scored the winner in the 88th minute with... uh, a late arrival to the top of the box and then a shot that was deflected in. But a huge goal nonetheless. Um, another one to add to the list of young, exciting Americans playing at some of the biggest clubs in Europe right now. So you, you would call this an upset, right? No Timo Werner. We all kind of were expecting Atletico to just dispatch them 1 or 2 nil. I mean, I said 1 nil. I, I thought it was going to be a close game, um, but absolutely RB Leipzig surprised me. Um, just how well they were able to control the match. Um, even yeah. at, even at halftime, they you know they'd already had a couple of chances, and they um, honestly they never looked outclassed against a, a very good you know well trained Atletico Madrid side, who did have a lot of problems this season. You know they did kind of pull it together at the end of the season in the in the after the restart. So I thought that they would do have a better performance, but I I think it's telling that um, they have a front line of Thomas Lamar who was 70 million euros, you know, Jao Felix over 100 million, Diego Costa 50 million, Morata, you know, 50 or 60 million. And of all of those players, I mean, Jao Felix scored a penalty, but you know, they're not getting the goal production, you know, much like Barcelona, they've spent a tremendous amount of money on their front line and um, obviously their 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 back line and their midfield are excellent, but you know they're just they they've made a lot of bad purchases that they're going to be stuck with for a few years like i don't i don't see those players going anywhere right now and yeah i just don't think that it's uh it's it's a good thing for atletico madrid to be yeah the front i mean it was listed as a 4-4-2 with yeah, lorente they, 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 who's a midfielder he's a midfielder uh, and he was, with, up yeah. top with diego costa costa looked a bit lost for most of the game right uh, atletico really couldn't get on the ball uh, that much it was kind of a a solid possession performance from uh, RB Leipzig and their their three five two or three four three that they like to play, and uh, yeah, I, I thought Simeone kind of messed up uh, not starting Jao Felix. How do you right have three? You know, three spend three hundred million dollars on your front line, and you know you're you're starting your center midfielder up at striker. Um, you know, we ta- we well, talked the about the reason they're doing that yeah. is because they played a similar system when they uh, won at Liverpool, and Lorente scored twice and was an absolute yeah, threat on the counter attack. You're not so playing Liverpool here; you're playing RB Leipzig. I, mean, I think they probably showed their opponents a little bit too much respect. Like you said, I think Jao Felix should have started. They should have had a little bit more attacking flair on the pitch, and Diego Costa was just abysmal. So, um, I mean, I don't know if. You know, Thomas Lamar this season, zero goals, zero assists in all competitions. I, th- I think he's completely out of favor. They started Carrasco on the left and Koke on the right. Koke's, you know, he can play there, but he's probably a bit more of a 
central midfielders, uh, also Sal Niguez and uh, and Hector Herrera. Like it's a lot of like central midfield players who are good on the ball, but they just the, the the system or like the the setup for them to transition from that defensive low block they love to play to getting you know out quickly in transition and you know keeping the ball the balance wasn't really there there weren't enough runners going in behind costa is occupying defenders himself but other than carrasco there really wasn't much of like an out ball option of players making a run in behind so we just oh, so allowed where, leipzig where, where, where to was, commit where more was players Thomas forward Partee? where was my boy who you know i want arsenal to sign didn't even make it off the bench and he's been uh he's been a driving force for them in midfield and you know scored some goals and i don't know i just thought they were missing creativity they were they were like set up to defend, and you know, I, I, you never really saw the goal coming from them. So until Jao Felix came on, and then he he kind of sparked a little bit in them. But yeah, just pretty disappointed. Um, Diego Simeone is the highest paid coach in the world; he makes something like thirty million euros. So you, I think you'd have expected a little bit better of a game plan from him in this game. And um, I mean, this is this is Julian Nagelsmann. Who I've you know been always a huge fan of on this pod and, and touted him as as you know the the next big manager coming coming through young I think he's still like 37 38 interestingly enough he will be playing against Thomas Tuchel who was his uh, mentor and he used to play under Thomas Tuchel and he used to apparently would always get hurt um, I think it was at Augsburg I believe some German team and Tuchel told Injuries him he ended his career yeah, when he was like tu- 23 or 24 Tuchel told him hey you know you have a great mind for the game but um, you know, come be my assistant, basically, and Nagelsmann became his assistant under him, and you know now the uh, the the apprentice is is coming to face the master. So I think that's going to be an interesting little. The fact that we're plot. referring to Thomas Tuchel as a master when he's like pretty young himself, right? Is uh, is pretty weird. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like he brought him and up, and you Jurgen know, he used Klopp to play the under grandmaster of both of them. Absolutely, Jurgen Klopp <laughs> is the granddaddy. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely uh, Julian Nagelsmann's, uh, well, this season that he announces himself on the European stage. And it's only Leipzig's, I think they said it was Leipzig's third year in the Champions League, and they've reached the semifinal. So you can't argue with those results. They're already qualified for next year, so they don't have the pressure of, you know, having to win it to get back into it. Um, yeah, it's just all for the uh, pride of the club and their fans. So. Let's move on to the, the the huge game of the week that ended up being, uh, I mean, very entertaining, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't much of a contest. You had uh, Barcelona losing 8-2 to Bayern Munich. Uh, I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes, it felt like kind of a contest, even though Barcelona definitely seemed more of like stretched of the two sides. They created chances, hit the post, had a... Uh, a very uh, close Lenglet miss that uh, was eventually called offside, but they were threatening, got the own goal to equalize it after uh, Muller had scored four minutes in. And you're thinking like, oh, okay, this is going to be a really high scoring, like 2-2 or 3-3 or maybe even more. But then Bayern just, you know, put the absolute afterburners on and score, what was it, three goals within... Uh, nine minutes of each other. Yeah, they Perisic won both, the 22nd, both halves for one. Yeah. Yeah, Nabry in the 27th, Muller in the 31st. And, you know, from there, even though Suarez scored just after halftime to make it 4 2, the, the floodgates opened again. And, you know, even Coutinho got in the score sheet twice right at the end to make it uh, seven and then eight. So just one of the more embarrassing nights in Barcelona's history that I can imagine. I mean, you can probably throw out like a lot of. 
a lot of people probably are this year about you know it being a strange format and stuff like that but there should be no circumstance where Barcelona are losing 8-2 to a European rival at this stage of a Champions League so I think we've seen the signs of something like this all season with Barcelona like giving up leads or just outright losing to teams far worse than Bayern Munich but when uh, Bayern Munich showed up on the day they 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 look scary. Like I don't know, I, I don't know even if City had gone through against Leon, I, I, I think a lot of I think City would have been sitting there shitting themselves over the idea of like, okay, how are we going to attack when Bayern are probably just as good at, at this system as we are? So I mean, this this has to put Bayern like if they weren't in the driver's seat for or, or favorites for the Champions League now, like so far, this has to make them favorites now, right? Yeah, I mean, I wanna I wanna just get the Barcelona talk out of the way and then we can praise Bayern um, I, first of all I didn't like the the Sergio Busquets Sergio Roberto Frank like the four center midfielders starting at it uh, I think we talked about it during the game but they basically completely gave up their wings um, really left yeah. Semedo and uh, Jordi Alba to hang and you could immediately tell that the Bayern players realized that and were just you know passing balls to Perisic and Nabry um, during that entire first half, and Alfonso Davies just, just having a field day. Josh Kimmich, too. I mean, both of them ended up getting, I think, a couple of assists. Um, both of them, I think, were part of the third and the fourth goal, or the fourth and the fifth. And, you know, it was just it was just far too easy for this Bayern Munich side who, you know, they controlled it from the first minute to the 90th minute. I mean, even when they got that own goal, I was just kind of like... It was kind of against the run of play. Like I know that Messi hit the yeah, post. Yeah, Alaba got uh, up and laughed. Right. Alaba literally got up and laughed and was like, "Oh, all right." I mean, I thought Lewandowski. I know he he got like the seventh goal or so, six or the seventh goal. Like you know, wasn't part of the win, but I thought his hold up play, um, his assists were. I mean, were brilliant. No, he definitely was. Oh like, no, he, he was. was. No, I was he saying, played I was the one two with on Muller the, for the first goal. On the score sheet, you know, he the wasn't. Assist for Muller's yeah. goal. That's was um, a nice build up. But yeah, briefly back to Barcelona. I just. I thought I didn't agree with the decision of not starting Antoine Griezmann. I thought um, once he came on the pitch, they had a little bit more of a workhorse. Um, you know, Usman Dembele was on the bench, but didn't even make it onto the pitch. Um, even Rakitic didn't make it on the pitch. Uh, they brought on Ansu Fati. I thought too late when it was already six two, and he looked good when he came on. But again, like. I really hated that formation of Sergio Roberto Busquets, De Jong, and Vidal, and I think that's why um, you know Kike Sentien was fired right after the game because you know it, it definitely was partly his fault. I think the players left him to hang, but the formation was atrocious. I mean, they got that completely wrong. And you know, there's rumors of Lionel Messi wanting to leave Barcelona that he has you know some sort of uh, clause in his contract that says if he wants to leave, then he gets to go for free. And you know, I don't, what? I don't know how that's gonna work. I'm pretty sure that would be mean that he doesn't, you know, get the rest of the money for his contract. I think he's the highest paid player in the world. So, if he were to leave, I'm sure he'd want, you know, some big signing bonus and uh, big wages at another club. And there's only probably two or three clubs in the world who could afford to have someone like Lionel Messi in their club. But you know, I feel like this is the end of Barcelona. 
um, in terms of like their dynasty and their. I know that they still have some really good, promising young players like Frankie De Jong. Even though Semedo had a nightmare of a game, I, you know, I still think. Well, he's not young anymore. He's like twenty six, um, but you know, they still have Usman Dembele. Like you said, like him and Ansu Alba Fati. got left out on an island. You know, yeah. it's not their fault that they were just you know by themselves one v one versus. Uh, like I would have liked to see maybe even like Junior Furpo starting on the wing and Ansu Fati and and just make those Bayern wingbacks have to defend and have to think twice yeah, before going forward. Don't let them play as second wingers. <laughs> no, and like Davies was just bombing down that left wing the entire game from start to finish, and you just didn't... The, the fifth goal that he set up for Kimmich, oh, that was where beautiful. he's on the wing and he does the little, you know, leg shimmy, like Cristiano Ronaldo, no, like no, shimmy. No, he's the, like, he does it twice to The Willian leg shimmy, Alex. Him. The Willian leg shimmy. I mean, Ronaldo was doing that way before uh, William was. Um, but the way Davies just went straight past Semedo after doing it not once but twice, you know, and he just like he looks like he's going at his own pace, just towards the byline, cuts it back, and Kimmich sneaks in and taps it in. That was the moment where you're just like, like, who's beating this team? <laughs> that result happened before we found out about this Manchester City loss, and I was kind of assuming City would be the ones meeting them in the semifinal. And I was already thinking, like, I, like City could be set up for, like, the same kind of embarrassment. So, do you want to start praising Byron a little bit now? I mean, I guess I just started that with the the, <laughs> the fifth goal breakdown, but... Yeah, I mean... Really, okay, their so, domination on the wings is, like, nothing I've ever seen before. Also... Like, the quality they have in the wings is, like... Their bench that came on, um, I mean, it's, it's frightening that they were able to bring on, you know... They brought off Jerome Boateng for Nicolas Sewell once it was like 7-2 or something. But again, like they, they brought on a, a starting Germany center back, brought on Philippe Coutinho, Barcelona's record signing. Um, they've, I think, already paid something like 132 million euros for him at this point. Um, and he came on and got two goals and an assist, which was more than the entire Barcelona team was able to muster. Uh, you know, Lucas Hernandez was like, I think, 70 or 80 million Um you know, a center back slash left back, uh, one with the French national team. Same with Quarantine Tolisso. He also played for the French national team in that um, World Cup win. And Kingsley Coman, another, you know, fantastic French winger who looked fresh after coming on and, and gave them fresh legs and more penetration and attack. I mean, it, it's scary that Leroy Sané is still to be added to this team, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, and you, you assume that Perisic would probably go right, back the one. either to Inter like sure. he would, because he's on loan. Uh, I mean, he's done well. He's scored in each of these last two Champions League games, and they were pretty important goals. He, the, the one that put them up 2-1 uh, in this Barca game and the one that put them up 2-0 against us. In the, Let's the week talk before, about Thomas so. Muller, though, because I, he got a brace. Yeah, he, I, I he was, was saying, a monster in this game. I was saying to you guys, you guys and my, my brother... That like when I saw the formations, I wasn't crazy about it. Even though I realized it was kind of a necessity that Bayern had to shift Kimmich out of midfield, put him at right back, and play uh, Thiago Goretzka and essentially Muller as like the the false nine or the the, the number ten. He did a great job on Messi. I'm not gonna lie. And I was saying, I was saying to both of you guys, like Bayern's game plan is completely make or break with Thomas Muller because you know they're gonna dominate on the wings and right from the off that that first goal. I think it's Perisic who plays the ball in to the top of the box. Muller chests it down to Lewandowski, who dinks it back to him, and he finishes first time. I was just thinking then, like, oh, okay, well, Muller showed up, so Byron's probably going to win this one. So uh, I think it might have been the best game I've ever seen Muller play outside of that uh, 
that fe- World Cup it feels game like Mueller's- where he scored like a hat trick against England right. in 2010. It feels like Mueller, right. I was going to say, he's been around forever, right? You saw him playing in 2010. Do you know how old Thomas Mueller is right now? 31? 30. He's 30 years 30, old. Yeah. yeah. Which is, wow. It's pretty incredible. I mean, he's going to be 31 in September, so, you know, pretty close. Um, but he, he broke the record for um, assists in the Bundesliga this year, a record that was previously held by Kevin De Bruyne. Um, who just broke the record for assists in the English league? But and he's kind of vindicated by these performances absolutely. because he, he was one of the reasons that Nico Kovac was uh, was basically ousted in the middle of the season because he was one of the players that was kind of frozen out by Kovac. Kovac didn't want a number ten like in between kind of player. He wanted his strictly wing players. He wanted his Lewandowski center forward, and he wanted three uh, workhorses in midfield and he didn't think Mueller could be part of that so eight, he just eight got goals and 21 aside. assists um, in 26 starts for Thomas Mueller and seven appearances off the bench that's uh, that's pretty incredible 2260 minutes played and 29 uh, you know contributions to goals so more than you know one every hundred minutes that's 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 pretty amazing for someone who's been around for so long who um, I thought you know, Maybe there, there are his career, there are his legs had been you know used up a lot early on when he was 19, 20, 21. And I feel like it's been a few years before we've really seen this prime Mueller come out. And I didn't think he could do it in the Champions League. I thought it was kind of just like, you know, he was just destroying in the Bundesliga. And I was like, you know, let's see how he does on, on the big stage. But absolutely proved me wrong. And um, scored you know, against any, us in the Champions League final in 2012. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying that he, he's, he hasn't, I feel like he hasn't been as good in the last few years, but he's, He's just been an absolute monster this season, and I think outside of Lewandowski, he's probably been their player this season. So you know, we could keep going with this Bayern side. There are there are so many players we can pray. I, I don't think that I think even Jerome Boateng, who came off, um, st- also had a great game, was pinging passes to his wingbacks, and uh, we haven't seen prime Jerome Boateng uh, for a while. And um, I, I think that might be another player that Bayern could possibly upgrade on. I know they have Nicolas Sewell, um, but you know, if they if <laughs> there aren't many more players that they can upgrade on, you know, they brought so much quality off the bench, and uh, it's just scary to see how well they're playing right now. And I, I, they have to be the favorites for the Champions League final to win here. Yeah, I think the, I think another weak the, link is possibly Manuel Neuer. I haven't been super impressed by him. Um, he well, didn't have he too much work. He hasn't to do. had. He doesn't yeah. hasn't had to be great. <laughs> They've um, been playing so well and pressuring so high up the field so well that. You but know, if, it doesn't matter if they concede too. I wouldn't be surprised I, if you know they keep him one more year and then next year they they go spend some big money and go buy someone like Jan Oblak or something and, and just no, become just, unstoppable. They just bought, bought. I think his name is uh, Neuvelt. Uh, I, I can't remember his exact name, but he's a young German goalkeeper from Schalke, and they loaned him back to Schalke for the rest of the year, and then he's coming. Uh, he's coming at the start of ne- so the ne- the, next the, season. They're already ahead, of the, already ahead of the quote-unquote weak positions that they have, you know. So it's uh, it's a very, very, very well-run club. And, you know, I, I can't see them not winning the league for, you know, the next few years with this side who they've rejuvenated, you know. This was a, an aging Byron side that had a lot of stars that were, you know, won the Champions League in, in I think, 2014, 2013, I think, when they beat Dortmund. But it's been, it's been a... You know, a, a long process to get them back to the top in Europe, which is really where they want to win. I mean, it's just kind of a given that they're going to win the league, even though you know the last few years I know Dortmund and Leipzig have been challenging, sort of. But um, it's just I feel like it's just going to be a given now for the next few years as well. And 
you know, Serge Gnabry, I thought he was brilliant as well. Uh, you know, sad that Arsenal well, no, had the, that player. The one that didn't get on the score sheet or any sort of match report was Thiago Alcantara, who you mentioned was probably going to Liverpool. Uh, I mean, I saw Andrew share a, uh, it was like a heat map, not a heat map. It was a pass map for Thiago throughout that game. And I can't remember the exact number of passes completed, but it's displayed like a, like a pitch and then... Uh, every single pass as an arrow or represented by an arrow and the completed passes are blue and the red passes are are incompleted it's just a sea of blue and then there's like two tiny dots of like incomplete passes that look like they were pretty clearly like during like uh, trying to win the ball back and uh, and you know he wasn't like fully didn't have like fully time on the ball to like pick out a pass but he just didn't put a foot wrong anywhere he was even playing as kind of a defensive midfielder for them and he did it excellently, even though that's not really his forte. So that'll be a great signing for Liverpool. Uh, a really, really good one. That I'm interested to see how uh, how he figures into that team. Because he, he certainly will. I don't doubt that. But it's going to be interesting to see what his role is. Just, uh, so let's move on to the, the final Champions League quarterfinal. Manchester City losing 3-1 to Lyon. This was the biggest shock of the weekend or the week for me, even more so than Leipzig. I thought I'd go to Madrid because as soon as I saw the lineups and I saw that Pep was kind of mirroring uh, Lyon's 3-5-2 that they like to play, I was just kind of thinking, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you giving your players like so much more to think about? He started this back line or this back three of Fernandinho, right center back, Eric Garcia, uh, the young academy player in the middle of the three, and then uh, Emerick Laporte on the left, and then Gundogan and Rodri as the midfield two. You know, that's four defensive midfielders playing in two defensive positions and two midfield positions. And then basically your front three is Sterling, uh, Jesus, and De Bruyne. And, And De Bruyne, I think, was the only player that had like a match winning like worthy performance you know you, you can say Raheem Sterling you know had like it set him up for that goal and was like very uh threatening <laughs> and but he missed that absolutely golden chance when the game was at 2-1 to tie it up in like the what, 87th what an, minute what a god-awful miss I mean Talk about it's going to be mentioned for a long, long time. Talk about you know it was only two one at that point. If City score there, you could easily see them going on and winning the game. And I feel like once they missed, you just went, yeah, it's not going to be City's night. Like yeah, because Leon went right back down a minute later and scored right. the third. I mean, the, that that must have given them such a boost, Leon, to see Raheem Sterling. I mean, Raheem Sterling missed a hat trick of chances. There was a bunch of chances. I think he had multiple one v ones that um, he either put straight at the keeper, or he put wide. And then he had that tap in that he uh, that he missed. So, like you said, I think Pep got it wrong formation wise. Um, but for me, the biggest one at fault or the worst Manchester City player was Ederson. Um, I thought he could have done better in all three goals. It's probably a little bit harsh in the first goal um, to say that, but I think I honestly think he should have saved all three. And uh, for a, for a player who I think is. Uh, outside of Keppa, he was the record signing for a goalkeeper until Keppa was signed. And you know, so he's Allison. Allison was more than Ederson. Was he okay? But I mean, maybe so. Still, cost a shitload of money. You know, they broke the record with each signing though. So it was Ederson first, broke gotcha. the record, then Allison, then Keppa. 
But I just know, you know, for a for a for a goalkeeper who won the the Golden Glove this year in the Premier League, and who supposedly is, you know, one of the top goalkeepers in the world, and I can't take away from his distribution. It's it's phenomenal. Definitely the best distribution in the world from any goalkeeper. But his shot stopping, I think, has always been a little bit lackluster. Um, for someone who's you know top top three top five goalkeeper in the world, like I'm sure he thinks he is, and it really showed in this game. I didn't like you said. I really hated the midfield of of. I don't know why they played a back five. I I feel like that was showing well, a little again, bit too I think much it's respect. To try and, I think it's trying to like match what Leon because Leon have undoubtedly been playing very well in the three five two with. Depay up top with Toko Akambi. Akambi was an absolute menace, just occupying defenders. And, you know, he's the one who bundles into, I think it's Laporte uh, in the buildup to the the first goal that Cornette eventually finishes off. Uh, You know, that's not like an assist for him or anything, but, you know, he's made himself a nuisance and caused a breakdown in the city defense and they get a goal out of it. There were, there were a few question marks for me, though. Why was Cancelo starting at left back? I know that Mendy hasn't exactly set the world on fire, but you know he's a natural left back, left wing back. He should have, I think, been starting on that left wing. Um, Bernardo Silva didn't even get into the game, which... I mean, uh, why are you not playing your 4-3-3? Why aren't? Why isn't? And, I mean, and really pushing Leon back. I know you're gonna you're gonna be hit on the counter anyway. Like they were, they conceded three goals all pretty much on the counter attack. Like uh, at least kind why of accept your Foden identity starting? and go all you out know, attack. Phil Foden's been brilliant since the restart. You know, I feel like he deserved to at least get 20, 30 minutes in this game. Pep only used two substitutes: Riyad Mahrez and David Silva. David Silva is was playing his last game for Manchester City. You know, Mares was decent when he came on, but I just I thought it was not good man management from Pep Guardiola. Um, didn't really understand what he was doing. I don't understand how their player of the season last year, Bernardo Silva, you know, who for the last two years has been absolutely brilliant. I know this season I've kind of been confused what happened to him because whenever I would watch him previously play for City, he would always be sprinting around, you know, pressing everywhere, controlling the play. And didn't even get a minute in this game. Barely. I don't know if there's been like an injury with him or if he's just fallen out of favor with Pep. Um, but I think there's a lot of questions to be asked um, for this Manchester City side. They had John Stones and Nicolas Otamendi on the bench, but they still had to start Eric Garcia and Fernandinho at center back. You know, why couldn't Fernandinho play in the midfield? Why did, you know, Gundogan, who's been, I think, awful um, since the restart for me, has been the worst Manchester City player. Why was he starting in this game? Um I don't know. There was a lot of problems for me for Man City, but I think that that's enough talking about them. I think we should praise Leon as well, who uh, for me um, their best player was Awar. Sam Awar. Yeah, yeah, he was unbelievable in the midfield. I know that Arsenal yeah, been- defensively. If you you watch him, like he's not technically classified as like a center defensive midfielder. He's a center midfielder, like kind of box to box more like, just links everything together. But there were some reads that he made defensively where City, you know, you know, slicing through the heart of their defense, it seemed like a threatening moment for Leon. And then he would just read a cutback from uh, Cancelo or from Raheem Sterling, cut it out and then just play the ball that triggered the counterattack. He's an absolutely brilliant player. He's also, that kid had plenty uh, of links to Manchester City as well, so Ma- maybe Maxence, that's the kind of performance. Correct. I'm not sure what is how to pronounce that correctly. Kakare. Katare, yeah, Maxence Katare, who he played the full 90 minutes. I was very impressed by him as well, and he's. I'm looking now at his stats. He's only played eight games in Liga, so I think he's just broken to the team recently. But obviously, the manager has faith in him, and and. 
kept that faith. And, you know, him, he's 20 years old. Um, this Bruno Guimaraes kid is 22, Portuguese. And uh, Hasim Uwar is also 22. So their, you know, average midfield age is 21 there and, you know, absolutely dominated that, that midfield uh, You'll against Manchester Uwar City. You'll expect Uwar to leave, though, after this season. Because I would they, think they, so. I mean, unless I they win so. Champions League and qualify that way, which, I mean, I still think now that they're facing Bayern, we're all doubting that. Uh, they didn't qualify for Champions League through league position this year. So he's he's had enough great performances against Juventus and now in this game against Manchester City that uh, Manchester City themselves may come in and just swoop him up. And yeah, I mean, I would love him at Chelsea as well, even though we have plenty of midfielders. He's he's a really quality player. Um, Shout out to uh, Jeff Ray Adelaide. Came on, uh, had that driving run through the uh, Manchester yeah. City defense and set up the third goal for uh, for Musa Dembele, as well as Musa Dembele, who came on in like the 78th minute and got himself a brace. Um, you know, the sign of a of an excellent player is always when that's another one who may leave this summer now yeah. with a performance like that. You know, there's been sniffing clubs sniffing around about him for a while now. So, uh, yeah, with a performance like that, him and Awar may uh, just be, you know, those were his first two goals in Champions this. League this season. So, you know, before that, he'd played eight games and not scored at all. Um, and I know he'd been struggling a lot since the restart. So, you know, good for him to get on the score sheet and, and kind of get his name in people's mouths again. Before we finish this, I do want to mention we all just picked Manchester City when we were previewing this one. And I thought to myself, like, I feel like Leon have usually done well against Manchester City. And why didn't I remember that? And I went and looked at the head to head. They've only played three times, and it's all been in the last two years. It was both games before were uh, in uh, the fall of 2018, so the beginning of last season. In the Champions League group stage, Lyon beat them 3-2 and drew 2-2. And that was back when they had Nabil Fakir, who was like a big driving force for them going forward, and then now they've beaten them here uh, 3-1. So... We should have seen. We should have seen something coming. Like we, it wasn't just going to be an easy three nil, like I think I predicted. So, Pep, stop overthinking things. Just stick to your four three three that gets you the boatloads of goals that you want. Fraudiola, Fraudiola, yeah. bring Allegri well, let's in. Let's move on. Let's move on to the uh, the one uh, Europa League semi final that's been played. Uh, the other one will be taking place uh, Monday between Inter Milan and Shakhtar Donetsk before the final is played on Friday. So we'll uh, do a little preview for the Europa League and Champions League finals coming up next weekend uh, later this week. But uh, Sevilla came back from behind uh, to beat Manchester United 2-1. Uh, Bruno Fernandes got a penalty, just like we predicted. It only took nine minutes. Um, it was a penalty. I don't have any complaints about like the fact that it was a penalty. It was but, just you know, a little just... bit odd that Rashford got his shot off like on goal, and then when it didn't go in, they called the penalty, which you don't usually see. I, I know that like yeah, you're allowed to play advantage. Clattered him. No, he did. He did. He did. But I just it's it's odd to see that. I, like I feel like a lot of referees would not have called that penalty. Um, I know Hans Flick is apparently known for calling penalties. He has an average of more than one every Hans three Brick. games. Brits. Hans Flick is the, Flick is the uh, Bayern Munich manager. Right, right. Uh, getting them all confused. But um, I know that he's a great great referee. Um, you know, usually gets these big European games. But, wow, Sevilla did really well to then weather the storm of a Manchester United onslaught, you know, get an equalizer, and then, you know, kind of be- ha- put down the, uh, the, the hatches for you know, a good fifty minutes there, and until United kind of tired out, and then they uh, they took over with their substitutes. Sevilla, I think it was a pretty brilliant performance. Yeah, that's that's definitely important, and I want to come back to that and uh, how it pertains to United. 
but both halves I felt like kind of went like a similar way where United started out uh, in blistering form uh, for the the majority of each half, and then just for like just just for like the la- the second half of each half. So the second and fourth quarter of the game, Sevilla just upped the tempo, upped the uh, uh, the tempo of their passing, and also the the tempo of how many crosses they were getting into the box. You've seen their last three goals in Champions League or Europa League, I guess, uh, all be from great deliveries uh, into the back post or into into the box. Uh, you know that that uh, Wolves one was a near post delivery that they had been trying over and over again, and finally it pays off. And then in this game. The, the Sergio Regulon ball that he plays to the back post for Suso to finish off is... That's like my dream goal in FIFA. That's like what I'm trying to do every time I'm attacking in FIFA. And then uh, the uh, the back post goal that uh, De Jong scores. It's just, you know, that's, that's the exact kind of chance you want to set up for that specific player. And they put him in the perfect position to win the game for them in the 78th minute. Uh, but United had plenty of chances themselves. They were very trigger happy. They were pulling. They were pulling up and shooting from. Uh, Martial should have scored angle. at least a couple of goals. He had so he really many should. chances. Yeah, and Bruno Fernandez had a couple open play chances as well. But Sevilla's right. defenders, they look like yeah, Atletico out there. They, they were threw jumping themselves in front of at everything. everything. Yeah, no, that was crazy. That there was a great performance from them. Um, great performance from their goalkeeper. Do you think that uh, Romero should have done better on that first Suso goal, like beaten near post? Was it Romero or De Gea today? It was Romero. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, no, no, I didn't think so. No, uh, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't think the goalkeeper should have, or could have done better. I think the ball was just so well placed. You know, the keeper's his positioned on the right side of his goal, looking for the ball coming in from the left. It just gets drilled so hard, like in an area that no one can get to. I'm sorry, it was De Gea. And, so just, and uh, it yeah. was De Gea. I, I didn't think it was his fault, is what I'm saying. I think Suso okay. just put a great finish on like a great ball that was unstoppable. Maybe you can blame Juan Bissaka for getting burned on the right wing, but uh, no, I don't think it's a goalkeeper's uh, fault for that. And for neither goal, to be honest. It's just, you know... Sevilla like to create overloads out wide and they have great wingbacks like Navas played the ball for the winner. So each of their left back and right back got an assist, a very specific kind of goal. So, so yeah, what, just what, a very good performance by Sevilla, I think. What was a little bit um, telling to me was when the substitutes came on, you know, Manchester United were bringing in Juan Mata, who's I think like 33, you know, Daniel James, who I think has been on very underwhelming since his start. To the season that he had, he had three or four. Right, bringing in Fonsu Mensa and Odion Egalo. All in the eighty-seventh minute, uh, they went down two-one in the seventy-eighth minute, and it took Solskjaer until the eighty-seventh minute to bring on his first three substitutions, and then one more in the ninetieth. You're I, thinking I thought, like, what's the I point, man? Fred bring played them on really now. well. I thought he was probably Manchester United's best player. Um, him and Bruno Fernandes played a mi- like really, really well in that first half. Martial as well, um, even though they didn't, you know, he didn't get a goal, but. Um, I think Manchester United definitely need to get some more options on the bench. They need to, you know, sell a bunch of these old older players or loan out some of the younger ones like like Fonsu Mensa and you know Odion Agallo. I think was only on loan till the end of the season, so I don't think he'll. You know, I think they'll try to find another striking option to to replace him with. But you could tell that the that the Sevilla substitutes actually made a difference. Um, you know that. Uh, Go- Goodelge, Goodelge. I don't know how you say Good, that name. Goodelge. Goodelge. Um, you know, uh, Munir, Luke De Jong, who got the goal, and Franco Vasquez. I mean, all of them changed the game. 
um, in some way. They all, you know, had contributions either defensively or offensively. And I think that's pretty telling that, <laughs> that like... Shout you out know, to Julian Lopetegui. Yeah, that a team like Sevilla... other clubs. Real Madrid um, and Porto, he failed, and now he's gotten it, putting together a pretty good season at Sevilla now. Right. And I mean, you, you got to think that they're, you know, I, I don't know if they're favorites to win in the final, but that's what, 25 out of their last 26 games in Europa that they've won. So they are the Europa Kings, uh, truly, truly are. And another final for them. You know, they are already in Champions League, so I don't think that that's going to be a big motivator for them. Um, so are Inter Milan and I believe Shakhtar Donetsk. So, you know, of all the teams, I think all four of these teams that were remaining in these semifinals all already had Champions League. Um, but I think, you know, just winning a European title and, and uh, you know, just winning a trophy is going to be big for any of these teams. So uh, I, w- I would definitely think it's going to be a fun one, whether it's Shakhtar or Inter that joins them in the final. But I think, uh, I think Sevilla... I think they deserved it just because of like, you know, not not from the run of play because, you know, United could have easily had many more goals. I think I'm looking at the stats now. United had 20 shots, seven on target. Sevilla had nine shots, three on target, um, but they had more possession. And, and I thought they defended brilliantly. And overall, when their substitutions just made a much bigger difference. Um, and I think because of that, they, they probably deserve to win overall in the run of play. Also, you bring up the shooting stats or the shot stats and... I think what we mentioned before about how aggressively they were uh, trying to block shots and uh, get in front of you know players that have been uh, very efficient with their finishing recently and Mason Greenwood and Martial and Bruno Fernandez and Rashford a little less so. I think just uh, establishing that uh, standard that you're never going to have an easy shot. Like if you're going to finish, it's going to have to be a first time finish when uh, we haven't been able to read it yet. That kind of created like this this hurry up and shoot mentality to a lot of United's players, where they were rushing things and taking shots where, you know, it probably wasn't the best option, but they were just trying to, you know, stop one of the defenders from reading them and getting in front of the shots. So, you know, a little bit of mind games there to sort of create that atmosphere in United's forwards, but it paid off excellently. And you know, they may like you said in the run of play, it kind of looked like United could have and maybe should have uh, made more of a game of it or uh, or maybe even won it. But, you know, Sevilla executed their game plan to perfection and uh, every part about it like, uh, paid off. So um, let's hit on these semifinals that are going to be coming up in the Champions League very quickly. RB Leipzig, PSG on Tuesday, 3 p.m. and Leon Bayern Munich uh, Wednesday at 3 p.m. So RB Leipzig, PSG... It's a similar script, I feel like, to the Atalanta-PSG game where, you know, PSG should be winning. Um, and I'm still a little afraid to just, you know, chalk them I mean, in for their I first think if, Champions if, League if final. I Mbappe's healthy to start here, which it looks like he is, um, I mean, I know I've regretted backing PSG before, but I feel like I won't in this match. Um, I, I do think PSG are going to win it. I don't think our Leipzig are just going to sit down. I think Nagelsmann's a great coach, and he'll have a plan in mind to to go at PSG's weaknesses that are obviously there. Um, but I think that the way that Neymar and Mbappe have been playing, I, I, I don't see an, a result other than a PSG win here. Um, now, whether that's you know going to be enough to, to win a final against this Bayern Munich side, who um, you know I'm sure we're both going to predict beat Lyon, but it's just it's great to see you know French teams and German teams in the in the semifinals and not the usual contenders of you know Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool. You know, uh, what if I what if I phrase the question this way? 
Juventus. Of these two semi of these two semifinals, which one do you think is more likely to end in an upset? I think the Leipzig PSG. I think that's I think what I was like, thinking. I think they could possibly frustrate this PSG side. Um, you know, you could tell that in the PSG game, especially in the first half, when Atalanta were pressing them. I mean, they were pressing them the entire game, but this PSG side was not comfortable passing out the back. Um, a lot of, you know, they seemed a little bit very rusty in that, um, you know, because they haven't had that many competitive games. Um, and you could tell that this is that's what RB Leipzig are good at. They're fantastic at pressing. They're you know they're kind of like a Klopp type side. And you know I think that's what you're going to see. Ralph Rangnick, I'll have you know, Javier. He's the defensive master who uh, drilled them for years before. Yeah, Nagelsmann just, came along. I I think that that's going to be a uh, an interesting you know subplot of this game. I think that the pressing game that Leipzig brings, and you know I think they could get a goal or two from from defensive errors that PSG make. So whether that's going to be enough to win, I don't think so. I think PSG might get three or four goals, you know, because I'm not not a huge fan of the uh, PSG or sorry, the Leipzig midfield and defenders that they play. I know that Konate is their best center back, but he hasn't been fit um, for the no, Upamecano after that performance. Upamecano has been uh, excellent, but uh, yeah, he, he's been really, really good. Like better he's been than really, really good. But, uh, but I, I mean, you're, you're not playing against Diego Costa anymore. You know, you're playing against Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, who are unstoppable right now. So I think it's going to be a very, very different performance uh, from their center backs and from their midfielders. They're going to be pinned back a lot, lot more than they were against uh, an Atletico Madrid side who were pitiful offensively. So I think it's going to be a very different game. It could work in in, uh, PSG's favor, kind of without them realizing it, is that um, because they don't really have that many... Uh, of their of their great attacking players, Neymar and Icardi specifically, and Di Maria when uh, Tuchel decides to play him, they're all kind of net losses when you don't have the ball. Uh, they, you know, we've seen them pop up and you know, play well and ag- press aggressively in in spurts, but over the course of ninety minutes, there were so many like spans of the Atalanta game where you just felt like PSG were playing with ten or nine men when they lost the ball. So Zicardi I think, and Neymar just wouldn't do anything until right. they got back on the ball. So I think a little Leipzig bit, might dominate possession that way, but then it opens them up for PSG to just get in and counter with Mbappe and, and Neymar. So that could work in their favor while they kind of feel like they're not controlling the game. I think a couple of factors that are going to change from that their last game against Antalanta, Di Maria is going to be back from suspension. Um, I know that they missed his width and his like pressing and, and work on defense. Um, which is weird to say with unhealthy Maria, but he, he does bring a lot of that defensive balance to the side when Neymar is playing. Um, when they were playing with Icardi up top, which I think it's going to be like Mbappe, Neymar, and Di Maria, I don't think we're going to see Icardi start in the semifinal. I thought Icardi brought absolutely nothing. Um, couldn't press, couldn't Played the 1-2 two with Neymar to set him up for the one-on-one. Like, sure. That was like the one thing I remembered one him doing. One thing he did, yeah. yeah, in like the third minute. But um, they're, they're still going to miss Marco Verratti for this game. It looks like him and Kaylor Navas are possibly going to be targeting the final if they make it there. So that was, would be big, big players coming into the final and, and, and adding another dimension to PSG. But they definitely miss Marco Verratti, you know, that balance and that, that control that he adds to the midfield. I, I guess, no, actually, Kaylor Navas is a torn hamstring. I doubt he's going to make the final. So Yeah, that's that's not happening. Uh, but yeah, no, very interesting. I think this will be picking? the more interesting of the two. Uh, I'm picking PSG. I'm going to say 3-1 PSG. Yeah, I think 4-2 PSG. I think it's like... It, like a 4-2 that isn't a blowout. Like it's close and then, you know, there's a couple of counterattack goals that wrap things up near the end for PSG. 
um, which would be a great result for them. Uh, they can't afford to under- underestimate any opponents, uh, especially in the semifinals. Uh, so the other semifinal will be uh, similar underdog Lyon versus an even hotter than PSG, uh, Bayern Munich. So Lyon are set up to possibly defend well against uh, Bayern. They've been good defensively against Manchester City and Juventus in each of the last uh, two Champions League rounds. So maybe you give them a bit of a chance, but I, I still feel like there's going to be one 10 to 15 minute period of the game where Bayern are just able to run absolutely ragged and they score two or three goals there that just sort of put the game to bed. And then I think, I think for as much time, praise as we gave completely like they've just like they all they do is attack. Like all they do is want goals, even at four one up that you could see every player in that team was absolutely desperate to get on the score sheet against Barcelona which makes me think it might be even more. Yeah, no, I think um, as much as we praise Leon for their performance against Manchester City, I think this Bayern side are going to be so full of confidence. You know, Manchester City have come off of losses against Chelsea, against Arsenal. The only trophy they won this season was the Carabao Cup. You know, this this is probably a side that knows they have a lot of flaws defensively. Bayern Munich are not going to be thinking any of those things. They just won the league in pretty commanding fashion. They had a player in Lewandowski who uh, I think he now has 54 goals um, for the season, you know, 15 or something assists. You know, the Mayans an absolute monster and most likely could have and should have won World Player of the Year this year. Um, and then they have, you know, flying wingers and Kimmich and or wingbacks and Kimmich and Davies. And we can go on and on and on. Um, their bench is incredibly deep. And uh, they're going to be brimming with so much confidence. I mean, they've scored 15 goals in their last three games in the Champions League. They're definitely set to break some records here. I, I know up till this point, they're already breaking records for goals scored. Eight goals is the most goals scored in one knockout game in the Champions League. So I'm sure they're going to fancy themselves to get, you know, four or five against Lyon. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, the score on something like 5-1. Maybe, maybe 5-2 if Leon have a really good game. But I don't I don't see that anyone... Uh, I, look, defensively, maybe I'm disrespecting Leon a little bit here. I know they're going to play their five at the back. Their midfielders were fantastic in the last game, full of energy. But I think that similar to PSG, this is going to be a French side that um, when properly pressed, which I don't think Manchester City really did to Leon, and Bayern Munich will. Bayern Munich will be pressuring every single second of that ball and they're going to be waves and waves and waves of pressure, which I know that the, they kind of dealt with with Manchester City, but it's going to be completely different. You know, that's going to be coming from, you know, Kyle Walker and, and Cancelo aren't going to be giving the offensive output of a Joshua Kimmich and, and Alfonso Davies. So, well, I you're also com- not going to see you're going to see Byron switch to that three five two like they're going to play. Yeah, they're going to have gonna their stick four, to three, their three. philosophy like Pep Absolutely. should have, and you know they know that in uh, any battle out wide. On one side, they've got Kimmich and Nabry on the right that's, you know, going to overpower most left sides of any good team. And on the other side, they've got Perisic right now. They could possibly play Komen there and then obviously Davies. So it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're winning the, out, the battles out wide and they're solid enough through the spine of the team, uh, especially in possession in, in midfield. That, yeah, I, I don't see a, I don't see an area of the pitch where Leon really could like create a mismatch and, and, and I feel frustrate like the, them. The midfield is the one place where you know maybe they could get at Goretzka and Thiago if you know they outnumber them in the midfield. They're going to play their three midfielders, but well, that's what Barcelona tried and it completely backfired. Yeah, but on it them, completely so did not, not work. Be easy. So you know, and and just. Byron's bench, if the game is somehow close in the second half, they've got so many game changers, um, you know, def- defensively and offensively. So 
I, I just don't see anything but a Byron win here. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I'm probably going to say uh, 4-2, 4-2 Byron and, you know, Leon. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say 4-1. I'm going to respect their defense a little bit more. Okay. Well, that wraps things up for uh, this week on the Ghost Goal Podcast. Actually, we will most likely be back a little bit later in the week once the Europa League final has been decided and we know who uh, Sevilla are going to play in the uh, Europa League final on Friday. And of course, to talk about the Champions League final once uh, those two teams have been decided. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Follow us on social media at ASMOS92 for my Twitter and Instagram, at JavierRev9 for Javier's Instagram. Uh, at Andrew Passaro on Twitter and Instagram for Andrew, and of course at Ghost Goal Pod on all social media. Until next time, bye.